0: Welcome to this week's episode of Reading with the Lights Off, where I am joined by indie authors to talk all about books and romance. This episode may contain explicit content, so grab those earbuds. I hope that you enjoy this week's episode. episode of Reading with the Lights Off. My name is Allie and I am here with Willow Sanders who is a romance author and And then also, you can introduce yourself a little bit more and and talk about the the work that you've been doing and the research that you've been doing in romance, but I'm so excited to have you here to talk to me about romance. Hello,
1: everybody. As she said, I am Willow Sanders. I write contemporary romance as well as romantic suspense. I think I am at 11 books now. I have a whole lot of them that are rapid releasing, so I've lost count. Um,
0: And also, and and readers love that, by the way, when you do those rapid rapid releases and be like, "Oh, I don't even have to wait for the next book,"
1: right? And meanwhile, I'm like, "Oh crap! I have a book that releases in like four weeks, and I've only written twelve thousand words. It's cool.
0: I'm fine." (laughs) I just everything's fine a few days. It's that meme with the dog and everything's on fire. Everything's fine. Yep, this everything's is fine. Totally
1: fine. It's cool. <laughs> People are gonna be like, Willow, didn't you have this character in another book? Shut up. It's fine. Just they're there. They're sharing they're sharing a
0: house, okay? Just go with it. Don't cool. don't question it.
1: <laughs> exactly. So on top of writing romance, I'm also, um, I guess you could call me a scholar, though. Those with I a was going to say, it. yeah. you as a you PhD, PhD would be like, oh, no, you are not a scholar. So I'm like a baby <laughs> scholar.
0: I'm a step below. No, I love it, though. So you are a scholar specifically in romance literature or –
1: both in romance literature, and then also in how we communicate. So it was mm-hmm. this really interesting intersection of like media, and you know, the way that women have been portrayed throughout history, but also like being, you know, a specialist in literature, like I can pick up on all of those, those things that I have learned through my communication scholarship. So it was this really interesting, strange intersection that made this fantastic presentation
0: and examination on feminism and romance. That's so interesting. So it's like you have all of these things intersect with each other, the the romance, the communication, as well as feminism. Um, And that's definitely something that I have struggled with myself is I feel very strongly that I am a feminist, but I am a avid romance reader. And sometimes we feel that the topics that come up in the books that we read are questionable or sometimes put us at odds with our feminist ideals. And in the presentation you sent me, look through, I was really interested in that you brought up the issues of Fifty Shades of Grey, because that's that is one- the elephant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't personally read it, um, just because I started reading it and I just, I, like, it, that wasn't really my thing. Um, but I know a lot of people have brought up the, the, some of the problematic Elements of 50 Shades right. of Grey.
1: And it's probably best to start with 50 Shades of Grey because the second you say that you're a romance author, like that's immediately where everybody goes. And so we can look at 50 Shades of Grey in a couple ways. First of all, ma- many people might not know that 50 Shades of Grey is fan fiction, and it was literally mm-hmm. E.L. James saying, Hey, Edward Cullen, who is written by um, Stephanie Meyer, who happens to be Mormon and so wrote a lot of her Mormon ideals within the Twilight series, which meant that Edward and Bella couldn't have sex until after they were married. And so E.L. James was like, well, I'm going to go and give everybody what they want. And that is Edward Cullen and Bella having sex. And oh, P.S. I know that BDSM is this really cool like, thing that Sharice Sinclair is making millions of dollars writing and selling. So I'm going to throw some of that into it. So I think what Fifty Shades of Grey really is, is poorly executed BDSM. And it's not necessarily yeah. abuse disguised as romance, and i think that that is kind of where the um i guess your feminists will start to kick up some dust at but the thing that 50 shades of gray did do that a lot of people aren't acknowledging or maybe they are acknowledging it in you know and they're not they're they're acknowledging it but not acknowledging it it's the, it's that it gave women permission to embrace their sexuality like yes. people read 50 shades of gray and they were like holy shit you know Maybe my husband can spank me in the bedroom. Maybe <laughs> I can be tied up in blindfolded yeah, and blindfolded. And because I'm cool. allowed
0: to explore that and be like, mm, maybe maybe that is something I'm interested. Maybe it's not. But it gives you that space to be able to explore it. And right. that was something that struck me um when I first started reading romance again. Cause we've all read romance when, you know, we were sneaking it and, you know, hiding underneath the covers. And actually that's where the name of my blog and podcast reading with the lights off came from was sneaking those Harlequin romance novels and hiding them, you know, when you would read in your bed with the light of a flashlight, um, hiding in the dark. And so then I, I came back to reading romance again in adulthood. And I remember one of the first book signings I went to, um, And hearing a panel of authors talking about it, and they spoke so passionately about romance and how it was embracing your sexuality and it was giving you that space to explore these different ideas and themes, and that romance as a genre was not less than. Hearing all of these people say that, and then everyone just nodding their heads emphatically along with it, I felt so empowered in that moment because, and I had been keeping it a secret. I didn't tell people that I read romance. It was like this dirty little secret. Or if you did tell me like, oh, it's just literary junk food. But it's not. It is not junk food.
1: Right. And in your sentence, you literally said like 15 things that I could unpack and go on a rabbit trail with. But first, (laughs) let's talk about reading with the lights off and how a lot of us did read underneath the covers or read these books illicitly. Mm -hmm. Like that is what we all did. And there is a great book by Maya Rodale. It's called Dangerous Books for Girls. And it examines all of kind of the same ideas that um, a lot of us are looking at and how the romance novel has been perpetuated as essentially a dirty thing. And so, you know, because we are reading them illicitly um, and because romance novels speak to women, What are we saying to the next generation who is trying to explore their sexuality? And I don't mean that in a negative way, but when you're 13 and 14 and your body is going crazy and that's essentially when we all start reading romance novels anyways, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> if we're, if they see if these young girls who are illicitly reading these romance novels, first of all the fact that they have to read them illicitly, but what is that saying to them as people? If, you know, their mom or their aunts or their mom's friends are snarking at these kinds of things, like is that teaching them to be body positive or is that teaching them to be ashamed of the feelings that they're having? So I mean that—that's the first point of topic, but I guess we can get back to um, talking about how we are empowered with Fifty Shades of Grey and we're empowered with that sexuality. Like that alone is a feminist ideal. Like absolutely, I, I think we're in fifth wave feminism right now. But I mean, mm-hmm. even fourth wave feminism—you know—we talk about how sexuality. Is something to be explored and celebrated, and so if in romance novels we are exploring and celebrating celebrating the pieces of ourselves that make us femi- feminine or female, what is wrong with that? Mm-hmm. Like. The, I mean, it's a gigantic question. And and if we're going to talk historically, I can tell you all the reasons why we are not okay with that. And it yeah. starts actually with the Puritans and the Victorians. And
0: um They just uh, really messed us up. They, <laughs> like going all the way back. They really did a number. Legitimately.
1: On us. Legitimately. Yeah. And the Puritans, um especially, I mean, really the, the it's like 5050. But so when we are founded by a culture, such as the Puritans, who escaped religious persecution out of England, came to America, and then said, Oh, hey, we've got our own little country here. And guess what we're going to do? We're going to be extremely moralistic. We're going to be religiously earnest. I mean, hello, let's talk Salem witch trials. Um, oh, yeah. And we're going to say that masturbation and adultery and homosexuality or, you know, even a tryst between two people who aren't married, all of those things are terrible things that you should be punished for. And when you look at books that we had to read, um, when I was, I think, 13, I think eighth grade, we had to read The Scarlet Letter. And then we had to read it again, like in high school. And I probably read it a few times in college, too. But the Scarlet Letter, which is written by Nathaniel Hawthorne, very Puritanistic, tells us that a woman will be punished for her sexuality, whereas a man isn't. Because in the Scarlet Letter, the woman is punished for having an affair. Nothing mm-hmm. happens to the man. He doesn't have to be publicly humiliated. He doesn't have to wear A on his chest for being an adulterer, but um, Hester Prynne does. Why mm-hmm. is that? Because, you know, the Puritans are screwed up. I mean, and we can go into the Victorians too, you know, Uh, Queen Victoria believed, so poor Queen Victoria had to do all of the cleanup after the Regency era, era, where Mm -hmm. we had, you know, the rakes that are quite popular in our bodice rippers. Oh, yeah. She had-
0: I was literally (laughs) just thinking of Bridgerton and all of the things that end up coming up in Bridgerton be like, all the arranged marriages wouldn't have needed to happen if- it wasn't a horrible thing for somebody to be alone in a garden together, right?
1: but give me all the Bridgerton, please. Like, oh, I'll, yeah. take, I'll take it for a hundred years. Like, please give me Bridgerton <laughs> and more of it. Um, oh yeah. So yeah, there's a there's a total double standard to the to sexual morality of men and women in the Victorian era, but it's interesting because that issue of the rake caused like rampant sexually transmitted diseases throughout England. And so when Queen Victoria came in, she was like, oh, no, sex is only for procreation. You can't do mm-hmm. it unless you want to have children. And so she struck down this hammer that said sexuality is only pure for procreation. It has nothing to do with pleasure. Female pleasure certainly wasn't considerate, considered considered oh my goodness it's so oh yeah because then
0: that led to eventually how women were supposed to just lie back and think of england and right. they were supposed to be completely detached from the act altogether
1: yes mm-hmm. though it, that has been debunked she never actually did say that but i mean it Aww. does speak, i know it totally <laughs> speaks to that culture though like mm-hmm. you don't need to worry about whether or not you're enjoying this like You know, well, Mm -hmm. I mean, she did believe that women didn't have orgasms, so that says a lot about poor Queen Victoria and what was going on in her bedroom. If she thought that the orgasm was just, you know, a myth, like a a unicorn, so poor Queen Victoria. Clearly, whoever she was married to, and I don't know because I'm not a historian, but he needed apparently to read some rake, some rake romance novels. (laughs) (laughs) But so So there was a. Sorry.
0: (laughs) Okay. I was just gonna say so then like so then the Puritan and the Victorian era era led to just like further repression of Yes. This idea of female pleasure. Right in general. And Mm -hmm. the
1: Victorians really did a number because they categorized women into this ideal of angels or whores. So either Mm -hmm. you were perfect and Lily White or you were a whore, like there was no in-between. So, mm-hmm. and you saw that reflected in a lot of British, um, in a lot of the British novels of the day. Um, I don't know if you've read Tess of, of Duberville's. It completely scarred me when I was, um, I think I had to read it in high school and then I had to read it again in college. I didn't remember. But essentially what happens in Tess of the Duberville's is that um this woman named Tess has to go to a farm and claim that she's Kim because she's a Duberville because she accidentally fell asleep while she was like gathering crops or something. And the cow dies. I don't remember. But so anyway, she has to go to the Duberville estate and the Lord Duberville rapes her and she becomes pregnant. And so because of this, she is now no longer pure. She's cast out of society, essentially, because she's not an angel anymore. And it goes on to all these different things. She falls in love, um, because her so her baby dies. And so she's, by herself. So she falls in love again but doesn't tell her new husband that she's essentially damaged and she's not mm-hmm. pure. And so he ends up divorcing her and there's all these crazy things that happen. Like it is not a happy novel at all. Like if no. it was in today's times it would be a dark romance, but it scarred me like for life because it's an awful awful book. But it goes to show you what
0: the Victorian era women went through at that time and yeah and I think what women are still going through today at times because I think in a lot of religious organizations because of this emphasis on purity and not causing their male counterparts to stumble or that you have to remain pure until marriage or untouched until marriage and that you know and likening their virginity to um unwrapping a present or like unwrapping a piece of chocolate and then it gets wasted and then the damage that then causes to that community if they are a victim of sexual assault or if they do have a moment when they naturally give in to these very human and organic feelings that they have and then the self-hatred that that causes as a result of that right
1: absolutely and so um there is a very very important piece of cornerstone it's a, it's considered the cornerstone of feminist um, criticism or theory and it's written by Gilbert Ungubar from the 1970s and they um, had said essentially that um, it examined the Victorians and they had said, just like I had said, the angels versus the whores. But there was this very subversive piece of the Victorians. And when you read things like Jane Eyre, there is something called a subversive um, feminine. And if you know the Brontes, or if you've studied them at all, you know that all of the Brontes published their their stories originally under male names because Mm -hmm. they couldn't publish under female names. So they had to hide all of their femininity underneath this veil to be subversive. So again, like in whatever that was, the 1800s were already being feminist and subversive. But Gilbert and Gubar realized that there was something called the mad woman in the attic. And if you remember in Jane Eyre, Rochester's wife is considered mad and he hides her up in the attic. And so many people believe that the mad woman in the attic is actually a representation of suppressed sexuality and that, um, who is it? Charlotte Bronte that write that wrote that? I can't believe I literally just questioned which one of them it's wrote okay. those. I
0: don't. I have no idea. <laughs>
1: I literally studied them, and I just went to the Bronte Museum like two years ago, and it's Charlotte. Um, yeah. I went there two years ago and had a total breakdown when I was there, and the woman's like, "It's okay, love. Everybody cries when they come in." And I was like, "Oh, thank you." <laughs> it's
0: kind of. I just can't thinking. even imagine like what life was like. Back, Back then, then, they were trying to subvert it, but and we struggle even today having that authority in our own lives and breaking free of all of those expectations and um, social norms that we've been taught, um, but now we have the internet, and we have TikTok, and we have blogs, and books, and forums, and YouTube videos to help us know that we're not alone in feeling Correct. that way.
1: Absolutely. We don't have to hide it. Nope. And the other thing I mean, and obviously, you know, we hear words thrown around like the patriarchy in everything, especially nowadays, it's a very popular thing. But legitimately, there are things that the patriarchy caused us to have feel these this shame and to hold us back. And so, for example, there was a Stamp Act of, of 1712 that taxed printed materials. And th- this tax was intended specifically to prevent women and the poor from reading. Because if there's a tax on something, unless you are very wealthy, you're not going to be able to afford it. Followed up then by the window tax, which happens just after the the Stamp Act, And that taxed any household that had more than six windows in their house. So it eliminated the free light that comes in from sunshine so that you couldn't read that way either. And these were all intended to prevent anybody but elite men from learning. From, you know, educating themselves. That's
0: insane. I right? had no idea. Completely a tax on how motivated. many windows you had right. in your house.
1: Because it was essentially, I guess, if you had more than six windows, you would have a two-story house. And back then, two-story houses were obviously a sign of affluence. Most people live like in apartments or, you know, in four or five flats, or if they lived out on a farm, it was usually like a one or two room house. But the simple fact that they're taxing people for sunlight, like it blows my mind that, sorry, you're not allowed to have sunlight because we don't want you to learn. Like, it's crazy. It, it blows my mind that things like this happened, but they did. Um, and so eventually, they repealed the, the stamp act, and they repealed the window tax. So then when um, women started to write and write about the things that they experienced every day, just like, you know, the Brontes did, men started to become really, um, oh, my gosh, the word, threatened. That's I was going to say enraged, <laughs> emasculated. Emasculated is a fantastic word too. They felt <laughs> they felt threatened and emasculated because women started making money. And if they're making money, obviously then the power doesn't rest with the men. The power then is split because women can say, well, I made, you know, whatever, 32 cents off of selling my book. So if I made this money, then I don't need you to provide me with whatever. And so they started to garner this. I'm not
0: dependent on you. You can't control me and you can't say, oh, you can't say this or you can't do this or you can't see these people because (sighs) if you do, I'm going to cut you off. And first, like up until then, women were completely, they were just trapped. Right. they, They would end up on the street. They wouldn't be able to survive.
1: And so because of that, because now they didn't have the control to say, well, you can't write instead, they just diminished the books. They called the books, you know, too common. They called them trashy and formulaic. Like Mm -hmm. so many of the things that we're hearing these days are the exact same things that the patriarchy said back in the 1800s. So it comes full circle, at least the patriarchy does. I mean, so the other interesting thing with specifically the 18th and 19th century is that aside from being derided as hobby writing and, you know, a necessity of doing so that the devil's hands can't get to them, they also, men, when they were writing their stories, if you think about like Charles Dickens or Herman Melville or any of these people who wrote, Mark Twain, who wrote these huge um, impactful novels and stories that we've had to read through all of our education. Women are never a central character, like ever. If you look through these, these things, they're either a mother, they're a barmaid or something that is providing them nourishment. They're a friend that is providing them advice, but it's always the male that's driving the plot. It's not the females that are driving the plot in those stories. So aside from deriding our fiction as common and, you know, formulaic, they also othered us by making us the other in those books. So, I mean, that's just the 18th and 19th century. Like we could go on and on and on historically, but I'm sure that people don't need a history lesson. And if they did, (laughs) it wouldn't be from somebody like me. You could probably get a PhD on here. That actually like studied history. I did no, not. but like, I,
0: and I'm still interested on the on the impact that it has on what we read today. Because some of the things that you're talking about, th- those complaints still exist today, saying that the that it's formulaic, or saying that you know it is for people who are less educated. It's not as on a high of a reading level, or right. the fact that like the story revolves you know, I don't want to say is resolved solely around the relationship that a woman has with another man, because like LGBTQ and all kinds of diversity exists in romance as well. Um, I think it could be better. Um, But aside from that, it's right. The, the romance is the, is what moves the story forward, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that like her worth is being derived from the man
1: well and there's something else interesting that you just said that i'm going to pull out too because maya rodale's book uh, uh, this is another piece from her book so all the credit to maya rodale on you know surveying new york times readers but she did a survey of new york times readers because she wanted to see like why is it that romance is so derided and 85 percent of new york times readers believe that romance has a bad reputation duh um But (laughs) right. But it also 70% of those readers also believed that our genre that the people who read and write in our genre possess only a high school education, which is interesting, because 66% of romance writers have a BA 13% have a master's, and 3% have a PhD or some form of advanced degree. So it's, it just blows my mind that everyone's like, oh, romance reader like romance readers and writers, they're just completely dumb and they don't know anything. But in fact, it's like, oh, contraire. Like, I can't tell you yeah. how many romance writers I know that are lawyers turned writers. Like, I feel like oh, every yeah. time I go to a signing and I meet other authors or I'm mm-hmm. in like these collaboratives, I think of the three collaboratives that I'm in right now, at least one attorney is in every one of those. If not, I think, like, and I'm three pretty sure four. I
0: know at least two doctors, like physicians, are also romance authors. So it, it it is definitely not and like they're doing it like in their in their free time sometimes, or other times like they are like doctor or lawyer turned writer.
1: Yep. Legit. Mm-hmm. I mean I think almost all of us do it as a side hustle at this point because <laughs> I mean you can't well, do it. Well,
0: yeah, because Kindle has made it so I was just going to say the (laughs) invention
1: of the Kindle suddenly like, well, and unfortunately the invention of the Kindle, everyone was like, Hey, I can write a book too. And so now we're Mm -hmm. so saturated that you're never going to become like a Colleen Hoover or, you know, Mm -hmm. um, uh, Jamie McGuire and Abby Glin's because there's just, there's too many of us at this point. Like, yeah, it is up
0: really saturated. And so, and, and it's so easy for somebody. And I was talking about this on a different episode um, with a romance editor, um, how easy it is for people to buy, a, like invest in a really fancy cover, um, but then not necessarily invest in the writing and the editing and literally my pet her. peeve such oh a bad of mine. Like, yeah, or they'll edit like just the sample really well. And then you like, okay, that I can, I'll spend $2.99 on that $1.99. Oh, what a great deal. And then you find out the book is like terrible and it wasn't edited past the sample. And while the thing that I like about Kindle direct publishing and like, not, don't come for me, Amazon. Um, but I do like that it has taken away a lot of the unnecessary gatekeeping in the publishing world and is letting a lot of diverse titles and ideas come to market that I think would have normally been completely shot down to begin with. And some of that darker romance and some things that are a little more niche or LGBTQ or diversity or diverse body types and all of those things. But sometimes the gatekeepers are good in some ways, because then, you know, really, if you could make up a cover and type some whatever and put it out, that's your work has to rise to the top over all of those right to be seen.
1: though it, I mean, it's good and bad, because I remember when I very first started publishing, and I wrote my very first book, probably in like 2004. And I had submitted it to an RWA contest. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, like, this is so exciting and blah 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 and the woman had told me and you know this is completely what you shouldn't do in a writing contest she's like you need to go back and take a rudimentary english class because your voice is too contemporary, you know, it's not formal enough, like all of these things. And she checked, like, she just ripped me apart. And so that book didn't go anywhere for years, because I didn't have the confidence to do anything with it, because the woman literally shot me down. And I know this has nothing to do with feminism and romance, but it is kind of an important thing.
0: No, I think it is because we should be supporting each other and not just absolutely tearing people's books apart. Right and be like, oh, it's terrible.
1: And this was before indie publishing. And this was before like a John Green or Gillian Mm -hmm. Flynn or people who have very contemporary voices. And so Mm -hmm. as the publishing industry changed and more indie publishers came about and people started publishing on Kindle, you got a lot of mixed voices. And in mixed voices, I mean, in the telling of the story and how people talked. Like before that, most everything was in third person and most everything was very formal in the way that the story was told. Now, if you look at romance, you have a lot of dual perspective. You have a lot yeah. of first person. Like a lot of those things didn't it didn't exist. Before. Yeah, And you know
0: what? People like it. Right. People really enjoy those. But when you have just one body saying like, no, this is how we do things. And this is what we'll sell. And this is, you know, we're doing things the way that we've always done because this is the way it's always been done. That's not necessarily a good thing. Because when the readers got their hands on things... You know, I, I'm thinking of like you know reading Hunger Games and Divergent for the first time. Like that was such a unique voice. I'd never read anything like that, correct, you know, from that close POV before.
1: Right, and those I think were both traditionally published, but at the same time, because mm-hmm. of the the um, sudden influence of all of these indies coming out, it allowed more. It 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 allowed new types of voices to become acceptable. So not everybody had to write very formally. And so because of that, like people could go out then, because I'm self published, I'm not carried by any of the big five, but I could finally, you know, publish those books. And my first books are in third person. Um, But now all of my books are first person dual perspective, because that's what romance readers want. Like, I see very few people that even like to read in third person at least in the romance genre most people Mm -hmm. are looking for the dual first person pob
0: yeah they want to be right there in the action almost kind of experiencing it along with the characters they want to be very close to the story correct Mm
1: -hmm. yeah so um yeah so thanks to the thanks to indies for that um but to go back paving the way (laughs) to bring our rabbit trail back to feminism. I know, sorry, I'm
0: terrible about that. I will take you down all kinds of rabbit holes. (laughs) And And the thing is, I'm literally
1: the exact same way. Like I love to have conversations and they're supposed to start in point A and I take you like up over the river through the woods. We go past Granny's house, we wave hello. that's what's
0: so great. That is what is so great. Right. (laughs) Yeah, but back to, you know, some what you were talking about.
1: Right. And I think that you did touch on it a bit because like you said, it is a little bit of a sisterhood or at least it should be because honestly, romance novels um, portray women like they meet us where we are. So instead of saying that like you have to be a size two and blonde and you have to live in the upper I forget which is the bougie one, the Upper East Side, the Upper West Side, wherever. You have to live in a flat in New York. Like, unless you fit this specific category, no. Mm -hmm. Romance novels say you can be fat, you can be thin, you can be 20, you can be 60. Heck, I know a woman who's writing like, Um, I forget, there's a special word for it, like seasoned romances or something like that. I know a woman who's writing like a romance for 70 year olds. So like, that's amazing, right? Because she's like, I want people to know that 70 year olds still have sex. We're still interested in sex. Like you don't Mm -hmm. just dry up one day and say you don't want want to have it anymore. And I was like, you write that novel. And I hope tons of people buy it because it's fantastic. Like our heroines are are as diverse as, as we are. And I think that by us not talking about romance or by people deriding the romance industry, we're essentially, we're essentially cutting our own worth. Like it doesn't hurt you if you don't write, like, if, if romance isn't your thing, fine. But the reason romance isn't your thing is because of the Puritans and the Victorians. Like, that's why you're uncomfortable with reading <laughs> yeah. sex. But if it's mm-hmm. not your thing, like, that's great. Have it not be mm-hmm. your thing. But don't tell me that it can't be my thing. Like, and I think- Absolutely. I don't, I'm not part of the BDSM community, but I know romance writers who are. And so they always say like, your kink isn't my kink, like reading romance novels yeah. obviously isn't a kink, but my thing doesn't have to be your thing. Like I like to read romance. Mm-hmm. If you don't like to read romance, like I'm not going to call you out for it, or at least I shouldn't. So why mm-hmm. then do other people, like, why do academics tell, tell us that it's not worth it? being examined like so this presentation that I did um at the at the university I'm not going to say which one um (laughs) so we it's it's interesting because it was a very long road for me to even get to the point where I could present this because they have this very famous writers conference and it's very highbrow and most of it is literary fiction and poets and all of these like super like bougie let's stick our nose up and wear scarves Mm -hmm. and you know glasses and they're Whatever. not.
0: They're not ready for like monster romance <laughs> and you know reverse right. harem poly. Exactly. All of that. I think like, they would. They would lose clutch it. their pearls.
1: Oh my gosh! It's so funny that you just said clutch their pearls because that's my marketing collaborative. We're the pearl. are the pearl clutchers.
0: Oh my gosh! Because that's that really is though. Like when I tell people that. Yeah, they're like, oh, you love books? I love books. What do you read? And I'm like, eh, essentially fairy porn.
1: <laughs> right? Like, I'm not
0: even going to sugarcoat it. And they're <laughs> like, uh, uh. They kind of choke a little bit. And I'm like, yeah, and it's fantastic. The world building is amazing. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, you you presented to all these bougie. So so
1: I used to be part of the local chapter of Romance Writers of America here. And Mm -hmm. I was part of their leadership. And part of that was reaching out to the community to try and get new members. And I was like, well, this is the perfect place for us to be because people attend writers conferences because they want to learn how to write. So we get to this romance conference and they had given us a discount so that all of the RWA contingent could come. And there's, Four or five different chapters in this state. So um, we all got a discount. There's a huge group of us, like we're all wearing like pink RWA shirts and like it's very obvious <laughs> I love that it we're so all.
0: Much. <laughs> yes.
1: So it's obvious that we're all romance writers. And we get to this one class and this woman, and I don't even remember what her name was anymore, but she is famous for like speculative fiction or something like that. And she's like, I just want you to know, I don't think genre fiction has any place at this conference. And there's literally like 40 of us sitting right in front of her. And I, tra- I like, was like, did she, she didn't like, she literally did not just like, we're all sitting here and she just totally threw shade at us. And so after the conference, I emailed the school and I was like, so you're supposed to have this like charter about inclusivity and like, you know, education for all and all these fancy like really philosophical ideas that you know all things can teach but yet you have these people who are telling you that genre fiction has no place at your conference like who do you think that they're reading before they decide that they want to open their laptop and write a novel they're reading you know uh, a yeah. James how, Patterson or yeah. a Nicholas Sparks. They're reading genre fiction. Like that's where people yeah. get the inspiration to well, write. And how
0: do they get better at it? And how do we, I mean, not that I think that romance is of low quality, but how do people become better writers if not attending Conferences and classes right. and learning and learning how to really do character driven stories and incredible world building. I truly believe you can have romance and genre and still have those elements. Right. I also think that you cannot have them and still have a perfectly valid book as well. Right.
1: Yes, But well, that exactly. doesn't mean
0: that they don't deserve a seat at the table yes. to And learn. so
1: essentially, like, I was like, so you do know that the romance industry is a $1.8 billion industry. And that's with a B. Like, you are aware of that, right? And I was like, and, you know, us as a chapter, we've got a lot of money to spend. So if we have to spend the money to get the seat at the table, we will. So that's essentially what we did. We cut a big fat check. And they said, okay, sure we'll allow you to come. And I was like, great. Here I am. This is my presentation. I have all of the academic accolades that you need. So this is actually like a legitimate scholarly presentation. Oh, by the way, I'm talking about romance. Oh, double PS, we're going to bring the president of the entire Romance Writers of America with us to your conference. And she's going to talk about romance too. And so I mean,
0: the power move is just right. It was like, check it check, check. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just like, that makes my heart so happy because that is <laughs> such a power move. And I love it so much. It gives me life.
1: <laughs> right. That's like, I feel like that's such a like BDE, like a big dick energy kind of move. Yes. Like, here's my checkbook. Like I'll roll up in my G5 private jet, even though I literally drove like in my Ford Explorer, but it's cool. Like, <laughs> I rolled up, and I was like, money, I'm here. Guess what? We're going to talk about sex today. (laughs) We sure are. And P.S., I'm going to tell you that you cannot be a feminist unless you are reading romance, because if you are anti-romance, you are not actually a feminist, because feminists care about the fact that we're supporting one another, that women are cheerleading each other on, that women are supporting women businesses, that women are embracing their sexuality, like check, 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 who is that? Oh, it's the romance industry. Yeah. Who oh, no. knew? And
0: not and not all romance is explicit. You know, no. I've read and reviewed quite a lot of sweet without any heat and they can have fade to black, but then they can still have that incredible emotion with it. Or they will have a few scenes at the beginning and then mostly at the end. Or you can have something that it's just like hot, 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 hot all the way through. There's something for everyone. So I think sometimes people get confused that it is. And I saw in your presentation, the mommy porn. Right. Connotation, yes. but there's like all kinds of varying heat levels. Side note, do you romance. know who
1: invented the word mommy porn? No, but I would love to know. The New York Times. Oh, geez. It is literally, it was literally created by the New York Times, which blew my mind away because I was like, Okay, so you already and I don't know if you've heard all of the problems with Jennifer Armantrout and not being listed on the New York Times like that happened last Mm -hmm. month. And it's this huge hullabaloo right now because she literally sat on the bestsellers list for weeks and weeks and weeks and I haven't read her book. Because I just haven't, and now like mm-hmm. the whole like Armantrout versus Sarah J Moss thing that goes on on TikTok, I cannot stand. I can't. Stand no, bullying. like the competition
0: I, between yeah, those two things. I and, don't stand yeah, no. for it because so, I love both of them. I absolutely love both of them,
1: and I refuse to read either of them because I don't stand for bullying. So I. Oh no! <laughs> so unless the two of those women come out and say look, you can be fans of both of us. Like you will not get Mm -hmm. me to read either book until those authors stop profiting off of the hate.
0: Cause like I kind of thought that that the bullying and the competition between them was mostly bluster and or not bluster, but like mostly like fan heat and the and the fans being in competition with each other. Oh, because I think it Jennifer is. Because Jennifer Armentrout does a Polycon every year, or like has in the last several years, and Sarah J. Mass has been a headlining guest. Oh yeah, um, I don't think there's. For the
1: there's no heat between the two of them. It is all their mm-hmm. fans. But oh, I yeah. feel like mm-hmm. if, I, if I was ever big enough to where I had an army and I don't, mm-hmm. I have like, you know, a scuffle or a gaggle. But if, <laughs> I, ever, if I ever did have an army, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm like, oh, look at you cute little group of like huggable gaggles. Um, but if I ever had an army and I heard through the grapevine or I saw mm-hmm. on TikTok that people were coming after another author because there Mm -hmm. was this, whatever, this drummed up fake crap of a, um, whatever you call it, that word where people fight against each other. You Mm -hmm. would think that it was like a Sunday night at seven o'clock and I had a drink in me with my inability (laughs) to call up words, but (laughs) anyways, if, if my fans started going after other fans or started going mm-hmm. after book talkers for expressing an opinion on someone else's book, you mm-hmm. better believe I would come out swinging and yeah. I would swing until it stopped because mm-hmm. that's ridiculous. Like we're all indies or we're all authors yeah. or we're all writers or we're all artists. Mm-hmm. Like however you want to slice and dice us, like we're all one. So yeah. how does it help if two groups or two factions or however you want to call them are fighting against one another over something so stupid as to who can be the better fan. Like give me a yeah. break.
0: And I feel like that's something that inherently happens when authors reach a certain level and and I don't know if it comes with the the veracity of the 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 readers at that point. And when you have that massive fandom, I can say at least I am in Jennifer's fan group of which she is a member and an admin of, and there is a strictly like, we do not say a bad word about Anybody, but even things like, I know you haven't read her work, but she, um, her recent series from Blood and Ash, um, she describes the main character Poppy as being curvy and being a, you know, thicker body type, um, like a plus size woman and people will post fan art of like what they pictured in their head, or they'll find like existing images and be like, Oh my gosh, like this actress or this, this picture looks like Poppy. And then the other fans will be like, she's not plus size enough. She's not chubby enough. She's too thin. She's too this. She's too that. And then I can't remember which book box it was, but it was like, you know, there's like fairy crate. And I don't want to like say the wrong one, but they were doing the from blood and ash. Um, you know box for the release and they had a depiction of poppy and fans wrote to the the company and said this image you depicted does not accurately show portray the character she's not fat enough <laughs> <laughs> and like and that she, strip is great and they changed it they changed the image well
1: which, and that's like, the perfect power of marketing like high yeah. five to them the things that I'm not okay with are when, like, the, you know, whichever tribe goes after, like, yeah, I can think of a couple people on TikTok, I'm not going to name oh, names, yeah. but literally... They, they descend into madness to the point where they mm-hmm. have to shut their TikToks down because, yeah. God forbid, they spoke ill against one or the other book. Like, oh, it yeah. just – it blows my one mind. One of them
0: is, like, they don't have enough diversity. They did have diversity, but they did it really badly. They, you know, they didn't say this enough or, like – right.
1: You like know. let's funnel that into like extracting the actual bullies out of the industry and not like bullying one another. Like that's just that's crazy to me. But Yeah, it is
0: it is pretty wild. Um yeah. I do really <laughs> love their books though. <laughs> They're really fantastic. <laughs>
1: One day when I'm not writing the deadline on 10 different books, maybe I'll pick yeah. one up.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, Jennifer is a machine. The number of books that she puts out each year, it's like she she reminds me of the song in Hamilton. Like She writes like she's running out of time because I think at one point she released like four or five books. In and they're year. like this and was thick. Like, they're I was like, woman, you are. Yes. I was like, she is insane. But I don't know if that comes from like, she, I don't know. She's got something driving her. I know that she is losing her eyesight. So I don't know if, you know, she's scared about not being able to Maybe. write anymore. Wow. Um, so, but yeah, I just know that she's been, and then she'll be like, Hey guys, just so you know, I'm taking like a little bit of a break. I'm going to step back from writing Cut two, three months later, she's like, "Yeah, remember what I said? I was going to take a break. Um, here's three more books." <laughs> I'm like Jen, you're supposed to be relaxing.
1: Oh my lord! Yeah, I I envy people who can do that. But then I also am like, well, maybe writing is their full time job, and they don't have to do a nine to five. And you know, the, yeah. the writing is the nine to five because, like, by the time mm-hmm. I get home, I'm like, writing Netflix.
0: It's always a toss up. Oh, and then there's awesome. the reading because you want to keep up with your your reading as well. So yes, that is definitely very much so. a, a, a tough balance there. Um, well, I, I'm so excited with all the information that you, that you shared. And but I, I, love I only about- just got
1: like this much of it. There's so much <laughs> more. But here, I'll give them a secret. There will be a feature in Book in Maine. <gasps> so you can read the whole thing. <laughs> Book in Maine is a fantastic little app. Um, it is romance reader driven. It was financed by Marie Force. Um, and so it is literally just for romance readers and it, um, has all these great little snippets of books that you can, um, see, you can filter by like the type of books that you're interested in. Like it's literally, I mean, it's a good reads without the reviews and it's specifically only to romance. And so you can find your perfect book on it. I love it. Um, yeah.
0: I'm trying to look it up right now. Can you spell it for me? Book Book and main.
1: B-O-O-K and M-A-I-N.
0: Okay. Book and main. Yeah. I was right, except for I put in (laughs) instead of and. (laughs) And so they
1: have this great little, it's a little app with a heart on it. Like this little bite. It looks
0: like that. Okay, cool. Oh, so I can look it up in the app store. Yeah. Okay. So I will be putting in the show notes a link to the how you can get the book and main app. Because app. I think I have, I have Kiss is another one that I have, but you can actually like buy and read. Romance books on Kiss. Oh, yeah. No, this one is just like to introduce (laughs) you to your new book boyfriend. It's kind of just like, a yeah,
1: it's just a little, I mean, it's so that you can find little snippets and decide if you like them and then it'll take you to whatever link you want to purchase it. So Um,
0: is it going to be an article? Yes. So I
1: am going to, I turn, I'm going to be turning it in, in June, like probably next week I'm turning this article in and they are going to release that article at the end of June. So subscribe to their newsletter and you can literally get my entire, like our presentation probably like synthesized somehow because I have verbal vomit. (laughs) <laughs> um, but eventually like it will be brought down to a readable portion yeah. and you can learn all about it. Cause we only, I was going to say, cause
0: I feel like people, I wish people could see your presentation in real time. You need to do a virtual Ted talk or be like at a, at a, at a book panel or something right? like that. Do I you have plans to, get- to go to like any of the book cons coming up? Well,
1: so those are by invitation to do those kinds of presentations. Oh. And you kind of have to be way bigger than I am
0: in order oh, to get invited. Well, let's manifest it, <laughs>
1: right? Like maybe all of your listeners can be like, "We really need Willow to give her feminism
0: thing." Like, yeah, I do feel it. like Shameless Con would be the place for that. Like, because I know they do like a couple of breakout sessions at Shameless Con.
1: Oh well, maybe Shameless will be where we do it. I'll yeah, I'll have definitely. to email them and be like so there's this presentation yeah well Maybe i mean share. and i just
0: recommend going to shameless in general it's in florida it's going to be my first book con back in action uh Yay. this november it was canceled last year i'm so excited to go um and they have this whole they actually have a whole um by invitation only they have like a lottery it's really hard to get into this um it's like a signing event i don't know
1: Huh? The signing event? Yeah, they have a signing
0: event, but they have a special class, and I just want to make sure I'm saying it because I don't want to say it's like BDSM, but but it's like it's about like
1: exploring your sexuality.
0: Yes, and it's like I'm I I have name recall issues, but it's with Madam Somebody, Somebody. (laughs) and it's like an intimate event, and they bring like last year they had videos of them wheeling this like giant like table like platform. Oh my! through the halls of the convention center. And they're like, what's that? And they're like, overt your eyes. Don't lie. <laughs> and it was like, but it was a special thing. And there was like hot wax and like rope. And like, but they were like talking about it and allowing people to explore this idea of bondage and BDSM wow. and like learning more about it. So that's why I was thinking like, well, if they do like that whole session, like they could do a session for you talking about the history of Puritans right? reasons for why people look down on So our
1: let's get this like let's thunderclap it let's you know change.org it I don't know how do we get it out there <laughs>
0: I don't know. I'll send. I'll send you the link for for Shameless Con. But tickets are open now. So, um, but it's it's all romance. There's there's going to be a smut gala where everybody dresses up. There's a different theme every year. Um, I this will be my first time going. I've gone to a Polycon a few times. Um, but I've heard really great things from like Al Christensen and Fiona Davenport. Um, they were like, you have to go to Shameless. Like it is the ultimate. Yeah. So let's make it happen. Absolutely. I'll see who I can email. be like, who do we have to talk to? (laughs) Yes. I love it. (laughs) To have Willow present. And in case anybody wants to read up
1: on some of the things I listed, um, Maya Rodale's Dangerous Book for Girls, um, Cinderella Ate My Daughter, uh, Gilbert and Gubar have a book on um, The Mad Woman in the Attic. There's a book called Shameless by Nadia Bez Weber. Um, All of those address (laughs) what I have talked about here.
0: And none of those are even any of the books that you've written. You've talked about all these other amazing books to read. So I definitely want to give you a chance to talk about, um, share some of your book titles if anybody wants to go and read some of your work, share your socials and where everyone can find and interact with you.
1: Oh, check that out. I didn't even think about it. Look at what a terrible marketer I am and I do it professionally. (laughs) um at willow sanders author on tiktok at willow sanders author on instagram that's where i hang out 99.9 percent of the time my most recent release is um beard on tap it came out two weeks ago 99 cents are in ku booking dr ron came out in april 99 cents are in ku i have a super secret project coming out on july 4th Ooh, I love super secret and the super secret title is independence bay nobody knows that yet so you do look at all of you guys, you special listeners, get a secret. Um, and then I also have Thirst Trap comes out Labor Day weekend. So, oh, my gosh,
0: go I don't check even know what it's about, Amazon. but I want it. Right.
1: <laughs> I can't Trap. tell you because it's super secret, but it'll be fun. You'll like it. And there's sex. Oh, my gosh. Yes. No fairies, though. Sorry.
0: <laughs> oh, but that's okay. I li- I also like contemporary. Okay, good. Because I was you gonna are- be sad. You are sweet with the heat, which I, I think am. is my favorite. Does- yes. it doesn't matter what genre. If it's fantasy, contemporary, whatever. I I gotta have the heart in there. It's okay if he's an. I want an alpha roll, not like which is the alpha cinnamon roll. See, I prefer
1: big dick energy versus an alpha. Uh, So they have like the attitude of an alpha, but they're also soft and mushy inside. So I have like snappy girls who are very sassy and
0: guys with BDE. So those are my men. Oh my gosh. I love it so much. So definitely check out Willow Sanders. Go follow her on social media. Go check out her books. I will be linking all of her social media links and, and links to her books in the show notes. Um, thank you so much for coming on the Thank podcast. you so much for having
1: me. It's been so much fun. If you ever yeah, want me to I come always, back, we can grab oh a again. She-
0: Yes, absolutely. We love repeat guests, especially if you've got stuff coming out or like new things develop in your research. Um, But yeah, this has been really fun. We only, listeners, we only scratched the surface, but I hope this gave you some different perspectives and maybe don't be afraid to pick up that romance novel. And you know, I feel like there's something out there for everybody. I haven't convinced my sibling yet. I'm trying to find the perfect romance novel for them um but uh, maybe one day it's out there
1: somewhere. we all just need to shout it from the rooftops and we have to normalize it like everything else yeah, once we start absolutely. normalizing romance then everyone will want to read it
0: oh absolutely all right well i think that's all the time we have for today but thank you thank so much for you. being here and we hope that you enjoyed this episode of reading with the lights off which maybe we should change it it'll be reading with the lights on <laughs> yes i love it reading, <laughs> reading with, with no shame <laughs> read with no shame. <laughs> Alright, thanks everybody. Bye. 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 So much for listening to this week's episode of Reading with the Lights Off. Be sure to like and subscribe and leave me a voicemail on the Anchor app. I would love to hear from you. And remember, romance readers do it in the dark.